Language Chats. This is a podcast for language lovers in Australia and beyond, where we share our enjoyment and experiences of language learning with you. I'm Penny. Hi, I'm Beck, um, and we're very excited to be here back again on an episode of Language Chats with you today to discuss, I don't know, all things, all things language as usual. Um, and today we're excited because we've got a special guest with us. Um, yay! Yay! Another Australian language lover, and his name is Evan. Hi, Evan. Hi, how are you guys? Good, thank you. Really well, thanks. Really good to have you here with us too. We always love having guests. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so before we're going to jump pretty much straight into it today and um, we'll do a quick introduction, but I'll I'll get you to introduce yourself a little bit because um, you can tell everyone your story. But um, basically we, I suppose, got in contact with Evan on Instagram, I think. Evan, is that right? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, at Ivy Fluent. <laughs> Yes. So um, on Instagram, we, we got in contact with Evan. Um, he is living in Australia and loves languages also. Um, and Evan, I guess we heard a little bit about your story online um, in, our, in our communications with you so far. But could you tell us a little bit more about how you got started with learning languages? It's actually funny because um, in the Australian way, I kind of just fell into it. Which is, you know, um, back, I started back in high school um, when I was about maybe 11 years old. Um, I'm originally from the US in Texas. Um, and people are very monolingual in Texas, unless you know Spanish. Um, I was not amongst the Spanish speaking population. And it was a requirement in school to um, learn at least two years of a language. I didn't want to learn Spanish because everyone took that, so I chose French. Um, and then as one year turned into another, turned into another, turned into the IB program, turned into six years of French, and one day I just kind of woke up fluent. Um, <laughs> so um, not knowing how good I actually got after year after year after year. Um, then I didn't pursue it career-wise, unfortunately. I actually turned out to be an engineer. Um but what um, after university, um, I had gotten into Russian. Uh, and actually, in about 15 days here, I'll hit the five-year mark of studying Russian. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that will be my little language uh, anniversary. Um, and, yeah, so that's basically the background on everything. <laughs> And Russian oh, wow. is quite, yeah, wow. I know Russian's quite a quite a different jump from French too because, I mean, there are a lot of people I think out there who often go from one language to another similar language in the same family maybe because it's, you know, a little bit, um, it can be easier and you can use lots of connected um, vocabulary and similar grammar structures. But um, going from French to, to Russian is is quite a jump. Uh, yeah, I I would say it's a jump. Um, I did learn a bit of Chinese, but only to a very elementary level when I was uh, in when I was about eleven or twelve as well, because um, I do have uh, Cantonese heritage. Um, however, and my mom just wanted me to learn like Chinese. Um, that didn't end up happening. French was a lot easier, and then I stuck with that, and I got too busy with high school. But. Uh, um, so I guess the thing was is that I really enjoyed how different the languages were um, when it came to Russian rather than how 
how similar it was because I'm not, I feel like for me, I'm not necessarily into language learning for um, getting at something familiar, but I, it's actually for something different. And so that's why I eventually said, um, part of the reason why I eventually decided on Russian. Uh, I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Like learning a language for something that's different to our everyday life. Um, how, how do you go with the Cyrillic alphabet? I mean, do you, did you find picking that up reasonably <laughs> straightforward? I don't think so, but yeah. <laughs> it is. It is actually straightforward. It's just kind of like muscle memory after a bit. Um, mm. you know how when you're, you're reading in English, you just kind of, you recognize the word just by habit and you just keep going and going. Um, I would say it's the same with the Cyrillic alphabet. Um, however, I would say that if I compare that to when I was doing Chinese for a bit, um, now I would say like my Chinese now has since I don't use it, is definitely on the A1 level side. Um, but I do remember having a lot of difficulty with the strict memorization of the characters um, in the mm. pictograph. Um, and so I would say that, at least with regards to the writing system, um, Russian is so much easier than Chinese. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Could you, um, so just going back to how you started learning Russian, um, was there something in particular in your mind that made you go, I really want to learn that? Like, did you, did you have a trip to, to Russia or did you have friends who were Russian speaking? Um, what was your motivation there? Yeah. So, um, unfortunately when I was growing up, even though I was, you know, fluent in French by the time I was 18, uh, and I finished high school, I actually had never been to France. Um, or New Caledonia or any of these French-speaking places because my family wasn't necessarily the most wealthy. Um, but from all of the French classes and over time, I learned so much about the language and the culture that I felt like I really understood French culture. Now, what happened is I had an international internship in New Zealand. Um, and then that company that I worked for hired a lot of international interns. I was the intern from the U.S. that year, and there was another intern from Russia. Um, her English was not necessarily the best, and so, but she spoke fluent French. So I ended up speaking French with the Russian girl um, and then translating into English um, so she could communicate tasks and whatnot with her um, supervisor. Eventually, we both went back to our home countries and finished our university degrees, and then um, we just kind of became pen pals. Um, and she, you know, she would text me on Skype or whatever. Um, today's, uh, international women's day. And apparently it's a big, like cultural, huge thing, um, in Russia compared to here. And then she would text me like, um, oh, today is Christmas. And I'm like, wait, what? Today's Christmas. It's January 7th. Turns out on the Gregorian on the Gregorian calendar, they have Christmas on the 7th of January instead of the 25th. So, I got more and more interested in the culture. So what happened is, um, because of this, uh, I felt like I understood French culture, even though I'd never been there. So I said, well, why don't I do the same with Russian? Um, start studying, start studying, start studying, and, eventually, and learn about the culture um, just by proxy of learning a language. So I started learning Russian one day. And then uh, four years later, I actually went to Russia, and that was August of last year um, mm -hmm. for the first time. So yeah, that's... That's how I got into Russian moreover um, than anything else. 
Oh, that's an awesome story. I love that. <laughs> it is. It's a great start in there. And what better way than through friends? Like I think that when you have that that connection with other people and you want to know more about, you know, you want to know more about their about their culture as well. But in your particular case too, it's so interesting that you really started through like she spoke French and you spoke French. It wasn't, um, you know, these days so much more often it's like the common language between people is English. Um, but it, it's great to have a different language that is common and then for that to lead to something else. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think the one of the takeaway points as well is that my philosophy is that I feel like, and it's my primary motivation as well for learning languages, is that um, I feel like when I'm studying that I'm learning all these cultural nuances and I'm exploring this new world. And it feels like I'm traveling, even though I'm not traveling, like I'm at home and I'm getting these foreign experiences still. So that's that's like where I draw the motivation from to just keep going and going and going. Does it mm. ever feel like a bit of an escape for you? Yes, I would think so. Um, and event and as and along the way you'll start making like friends from these different cultures. Um, and then you know one day you'll say, okay, hey, can you send me an authentic French recipe? And then they'll send it to you and then you're having a scramble around the Woolworths or the Aldi trying to find these foreign goods <laughs> and things like that. So um, it, 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 it is an escape um, and it, it causes you to break out of your normal um, day-to-day, uh, I, for me, for my case, either U.S. or Australian routines. So, yeah. So, so how are you kind of managing both languages in your life now, French and Russian, are you kind of dedicating kind of active study and practice time to both languages or have you got a focus on a particular one or the other at the moment? Um, I eventually got really comfortable with French um, and I have a feeling that my answer to this question would be different from other language learners as well because a lot of language learners, they go at language learning with the viewpoint that you can never stop learning a language. Um, I could fairly agree with that, but you know, I don't study English day to day. It's my native language. I eventually um, reached my goals in French. I had taken the IBHL exam um, when I finished uh, the IB program around 18 years old. And um, I had just gotten to a level where I didn't need it to improve anymore. I was conversational. I was um, able to navigate um, life. Uh, base, if I went to New Caledonia or France, I could navigate life. So I didn't. I don't necessarily try to maintain French other than when I run into somebody, which happens a lot, um, and carry on like conversations with them, um, or when I'm in those countries itself. And whereas Russian... I, I try to study like an hour a day. It's kind of like working out. You know, you see improvements if you're doing it often and you're touching it every day. Um, so that's kind of how I treat language learning is like working out. You just do it. And over time, you'll see incremental improvements. Yep. Really good point. Um Something that I love to talk about, and I know Evan, you and I have chatted online about this as well, is is travel and um, I guess combining your love of languages into I guess what um, 
propels you to take trips to certain destinations. You mentioned you went to Russia for the first time last year. How, I guess, how motivating was that to have that trip on the horizon um, leading up to, to August of last year? And did it really kind of propel you into some amazing Russian learning before you uh-huh. jetted off? Um, I think I was largely consistent all the way up until the trip. Um, and it's because I know that language learning is a long-term memory process rather than a short-term. So if you're like going into an exam and you're cramming right before it, you're not really going to benefit and retain it. Um, So when I say an hour a day, it's, it's on average an hour a day. Maybe some days I'll do two hours, but I wasn't, I don't think I've ever sat down and done eight hours in a single day. Um, You know, and after four years, I was getting pretty good. At that time, I wouldn't consider myself fluent. And then when I finally landed on the plane in St. Petersburg, um, I just kind of wanted to cry because Mm -hmm. I had done so much work for so long. Um, And uh, I I had, and the guy next to me, just some regular Russian guy who, you know, you start talking to him. He's like, who the heck are you? I start talking to him. I'm like, (laughs) I studied for four years for this moment. And he looks at me and he just like, get off my chest, kid. (laughs) (laughs) I love that but I totally identify with what you mean like that that emotional feeling of being like I've finally gotten here and I really admire your consistency I think you know for for, you're absolutely right in saying that you know language learning is a long-term memory process it's it's also about long-term goals too um, as well as the short-term ones but but it is primarily a a long-term pursuit um, and, you know, all of us, I think sometimes get caught up in the short term wanting to make sure we can, we can achieve something fairly quickly, <laughs> but, um, it is, it isn't easy to maintain that the consistency of, of learning and also mm-hmm. to maintain consistent motivation over time, um, but when it does culminate in, you know, a trip like it has for you or, or a particular achievement of a goal, um, that is, that is emotional. It's it's a big deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> Evan, you know that that discipline that you were you were talking about is. Do you think that's something that feels innate to you that you kind of grew up with, or do you think it's something that you've had to work on as an adult to have that discipline in in learning languages or, or working out or whatever it is that well, you want to have in your day. Um, with regards to, you know, let's circle back to the, uh, when I was learning French, um, that was mainly, I learned it in school. So it was mainly like, you know, kind of forced not, or not necessarily forced, but you kind of just did it cause you need to get the grades. Um, you might mm-hmm. say marks here. Um, and then as I, after I, when I was at uni, I didn't study languages at all cause I was crunching all the engineering stuff. And then when I got to Russian, it was, you know, you would go, I would go to work like, you know, the eight to five professional job and then you'd get home and I got tired of playing video games. So I just said, you know, let's start doing something more productive with my time. And so that's kind of how I got into Russian. I said, I'll just get home, study Russian for an hour and then do my other stuff. So, yeah. (laughs) That's that's impressive as well. (laughs) But it's all about making it part of your routine, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's definitely yeah. routine. And I 
I understand that, you know, there's people out there who don't necessarily have that day-to-day routine of just a professional job. Mm. Um, you know, they might do shift work or they might be at uni. And so like their day-to-day schedule isn't always the same. And I will admit, um, cause I was dipping my feet into Chinese again, like trying to study it again during uni just by myself. And it was incredibly difficult. Um, so if, if you're, if you don't necessarily have a, um, regimented schedule, it's like trying to find time for language learning does get quite difficult. I will admit. Mm. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I think that for every person, whatever that, you know, your day-to-day schedule, even if you may not have a, like, you know, your regular working hours or something that, that help drive your your routine. Um, I think that some people are more routine-based people than others as well. Like, um, I don't know if Penny, you, you identify with this at all, but like some, I think like I, I have had different through, throughout different periods of my life, different day-to-day schedules. And just as you said, Evan, like, you know, when you're at uni, things are, can be quite a, a very different to how you might be in a professional job when you are, you know, working a desk job that's like eight to five or nine to five or something. But um, I'm a really routinesy person anyway. Like I, I always get up around about the same time every day. Like I like to be, I, I know what times I can be productive. Um, you know, I'm not a night owl, so I, I don't stay up late doing things like, and I, I like, you know, if I can do my exercise at the same time every day, I try to do that. <laughs> you know, it makes me feel like I've got, um, yeah, consistency and productivity in my, in my day to day. Um, but that would be like that anyway, even if I were kind of on holiday or something, like I think I would still have some level of, of routine. Um, whereas other people are totally not like that at all. They have completely, completely different ways of running their days. Um, and I think that can very much impact the way that you say incorporate your language learning into your life as well yeah and if you don't know how your day is going to pan out that's where it gets hard to find the time for language learning for sure yeah listening to you both I'm like oh that's my dream I I just just I like I wake up every you know day and go I wish I wish that I had a routine today But it is totally just like different, you know, I mean, different, different life, I don't know, stages, different, different things that you have to do day to day as well that are predictable or unpredictable as well. Like in lots of ways, I'm like, I think also, Penny, like your, your lifestyle at the moment, just you can't predict things um, in the same way that, you know, that maybe I could ever can. <laughs> and I think when I, when I first started, um, my husband's a shift worker, when, when we first started, um going out I just oh it just drove me nuts like I couldn't get my head around the fact that every day was like a different a different start time or a different finish time so I'm I'm at a piece with that now but now of course with kids you know the whole whole thing's thrown out the window so (laughs) (laughs) that's okay we can we can redo this conversation in in 10 years time it could be a different (laughs) different story by then (laughs) (laughs) so Um, Evan I'll go on no, no, sorry, Becky, go. Oh, I was just going to say, like, so on on that, when you were talking about your your attempts at getting back into Chinese when you were at uni, what did you find was the most difficult thing about about that process? Was it the the routine part, or was it also that you didn't have necessarily the same kind of direction that you might have had with, say, French at school, where 
although it's not like forced on you, like, you know, there is a teacher providing framework and, and work for you to do. Did w- When you were at uni, did you find that like trying to self-study for Chinese was difficult because you didn't have that anymore? Um, no, not necessarily. Like I remember the second time I attempted Chinese, um, I, because it was solo, I was less distracted. Um, but I think it was primarily just the routine. Like I um, I had a language friend uh, who was trying to concurrently learn Chinese with me. Um, and we would like dial onto Skype and video chat like once a week and check in with each other to explain difficulties or um, triumphs during that week. Um, and eventually it just kind of fell apart because um, we were just busy with other obligations. Um, he was studying his PhD and I was you know, just about to finish uni and, you know, all of a sudden a huge exam comes through and then you're just like, oh God, I can't do this. I'm sorry. And then, um, the summer, like the summer or the school, ho- um, holiday break comes along and then you have all the time in the world for it. Cause you're sitting around doing nothing else. So that, I think it was just the amount of routine and circling back to the long-term memory thing. If you don't have that routine, it's quite difficult. I would uh, um, and I've experienced that end of the spectrum as well from my first and second Chinese attempts. <laughs> Do you think you might one day have a third attempt? Are you, are you when you're talking about Chinese, are you talking about Mandarin Chinese or, or Cantonese? Um, my mom wanted me to learn Mandarin, even though she's a Cantonese speaker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so she just saw it as more useful. Um, yeah. Um, I'm I'm not sure. I feel like I would be more motivated to learn Cantonese if I circled back because of um you know the before my grandfather died all of the um things I used to do with him as a little kid um and things like that and just the memories um and I feel like just because of the ethnic connection to it um I I could be, be more motivated to learn Cantonese. However, I haven't um, my focus is so into Russian at the moment, like, <laughs> and mm. I'm wanting to patch all of that up and be very comfortable yeah. with my level before I even consider another language. So, yeah, yep, that makes sense as well, for sure. Um, talking about traveling for language as well, have you or did you, I suppose, pre pre COVID, um, have another language trip planned on the horizon for um, for Russian? Yeah, I'm trying to get into, so I did um, Scandinavian Russia, basically the Russian-Scandinavian border the first time. Um, And the European side is, I would consider like the safe side. Um, Whereas, you know, now I'm slowly getting to more dangerous places. I'm I'm trying to queue up Siberia next time. Mm. Um, And, you know, that's where like all of the, they sent all the prisoners and whatnot, you know? So... um, and I'm very into outdoors and stuff, so I'm trying to get into, like, I, I think I'm really going to enjoy the Siberian side. Um, and the thing is, is that I wanted, I used the European trip to train for the Siberian one because my friend Andy, who is my American travel mate, um, we meet in Russia and I act as his translator while we're there. Um, but he's must got be great for your, for your Russian, <laughs> just as a practice yeah. point of view, translating for someone else. Yeah, um, sit it, I, I remember I was, I'm not a professional interpreter by any stretch of the imagination, but we were invited into this uh, Babushka's house. Um, 
and she like hosted us with like a lot of um with all of her cats for like two or three days um <laughs> and what and we um she didn't speak a word of english and i ended up in suffering really serious interpreter burnout um for a few days because um sh- they just wouldn't shut up <laughs> they got along so well that I, there was just like i remember one night i was like dude i need to go to sleep i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. That that said, um, there was also another point when we were when I was preparing for this that I noticed you asked, um, was there anything that specifically f- um, you found formative um, within the language travels? Um, I would say that moment that I just talked about would be one. But as well, um, back in New Caledonia when I was on my French language trip, um, I rented a car and went around the whole Big Island. And what happened is um, I was in really, really remote New Caledonia, um, and the road, it, the weather conditions were terrible. The road was all potholed everywhere, and I accidentally like wrecked the car um, after <laughs> it flipped on some mud. Well, oh. um, I was fine. The damage was just that the front bumper was torn off, but the subsequent um, troubles of having to, go- to negotiate official like contract documents and insurance and everything, like all the legal stuff, um, got really, really overwhelming. Um, and that was incredibly formative, like because ju- it, it was literally the most challenging language thing I had done ever um, in a foreign language, as well as... Um, you had to be on your toes and you had to use the right expressions. You had to watch what you said um, in order to try to get the outcome you wanted. Um, in the end, uh, I ended up negotiating it down from like three and a half um, grand Australian to about two and a half. And I was just like, yep, okay, I'll pay the rest. Like, that's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't think um, I don't think you're the only one who's run into a tricky situation on a trip and had to uh, really, it's really challenged their language skills. Um, and it's it's interesting because obviously you never you don't want to end up in these in these difficult situations when you're on a holiday. Um, however, interestingly, as a language exercise, they can prove very useful. <laughs> Yeah, I look back on it now and I'm just like, oh my gosh, how did I write an email like that? <laughs> Good on you, well done. <laughs> and with $1,000 off what you what they were trying to yep. get you to spend in the first place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you, Evan. So, yeah. in, your, in your trips that you, you've had, you've mentioned now, so obviously your trip to Russia, but also a French language trip to New Caledonia. Um what was most important for you to include in those trips to make sure that you were really getting your, you know, the most out of it language-wise, to make sure it wasn't just a holiday um, to somewhere else? The important thing is to um, get every element out of your non, or um, make sure that you're not using your native language. So maximize the amount of your target language you're listening to and using. In New Caledonia, I went alone, and honestly, by the end of every day, my head was hurting. Like I was really good at French too, um, and every day my head just like hurt from having to use French just constantly. In in uh, Russia, and it was a little different because I was I went as the translator for my travel mate, 
And in Russia, I was speaking English with him, but Russian with the others. And so at the end of the day, my head wouldn't hurt as much from just the intellectual and mental fatigue of using that foreign language part of your brain um, constantly the whole day um, because I would be switching. And so my tip to anybody going on a language trip would be make sure you're just not using your native language or your other languages that you know. Um, make sure that you're there for your target language. And um, it's probably preferred that if you can be alone for a bit to make sure that you're using your target language, that may be the best way to get the most out of it. Um, and because, yeah, like I said, when I was with my travel mate, we were speaking English and I just wasn't using it as effectively as I would when I was alone in New Caledonia. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Um, and it's funny that you say, you know, the whole, the mental fatigue thing about, you know, really having pushed yourself and used that language for the whole day. Um, you would have had a different kind of mental fatigue from translating though. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, and yeah, different kind of skill set. But yeah, I think that's such a good point and a really, really valid point about just full on committing yourself to being mm. there for that language. No. And even if you can't be alone, like just to just to work on it on your own, even being with somebody else who is a native speaker, perhaps like you know, if you if you were going traveling in Russia with your your Russian friend, then I guess that's that's one that's one thing. Well, um, but being with somebody else who speaks your speaks English, for example, is um, is another. In in that case, I would say you have to choose the right Russian friend. Yeah, <laughs> because um, I've I've been when I first landed in Saint Petersburg for the first couple of days. One, the Russian friend who I was with, he, um, he spoke perfect English because he lived in the States as well. And what happens is, you know, you're signing into the Airbnb or something and he just takes over. So then you're, you just kind of sit back and then you tune out um, since he's, you know, native speaker level in both languages. Um, so if you're going to get the most out of it, you have to have it's probably easiest to have the highest level amongst whoever's around you that, you know, is, speaks your native language or something. And also I want to drive the point that um, one thing I haven't tried is going with another language learner um, who of the same target language um, and, you know, maybe imposing the rule. Um, we must speak our only our target language in this country or something. I haven't tried that quite just yet. So I don't know. That's why I guess my advice at the moment is if you go by yourself or or you just make sure that you're using only your target language, that's the way to get your most out of it. Mm. Great. Yeah. Really good suggestion. Yeah, totally. Oh, I, I've loved our chat today, Evan. Thank you. I feel like we could, we could chat you. on and on. We might have to, you know, have some little subset episodes down the track. I know. <laughs> we might. Um, Evan, you mentioned your Instagram handle earlier on do, is there would you like to connect with any other language lovers if if you would please share your um instagram details with us that would be yeah great. um it is uh, at ib fluent um ib is because i started off in the ib program um that's how i got into french and stuff so that's where the inspiration behind the name comes from mm -hmm. 
Um, but you know, it's also my personal account, so it's not exclusively for languages. You see, like sailing stuff and my other hobbies on there as well. I was I think I was recently playing with a snake because that's what we do in Australia. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> uh, when it, when I was on business trip in North Queensland, so I was like, "What in North Queensland do as they do?" So yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you. Thank you, Evan, and thanks for your time today. And thank you for joining us on another episode of Language Chats. Um, Language Chats is part of a larger project which we started called Language Lovers AU, and we are building a community of people who are interested in languages just like us. So if you haven't already, please um, check out our website and subscribe to our mailing list at languagelovers.com.au. You can also find us on Instagram, we're at languagelovers.au and on Facebook, languagelovers.au. And we hope to see you for another episode of Language Chats pretty soon. And if you have enjoyed this episode, then do please leave us a review. It helps other language lovers find us as well. Thank you. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.